You're listening to Artistic Finance Show 157. On today's show, we assemble a panel to discuss electric vehicles, or EVs, for artists. Lots of fun facts to share, the first being that this week's episode was hosted by friend of the show, Carl Faber, who offered to jump in and tackle a few episodes. Another fun fact, it was recorded way back in March 2023. So for all you parents out there who struggle with juggling all of life's responsibilities, we hear you. And last bit of fun, if you're thinking that I sound a lot like Carl, turns out, kind of, but not really. I'm an AI-generated clone of Carl's voice, created on Eleven Labs. Creepy, right? You'll hear more of Robot Me at the intermission. That's it for now. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You are listening to Artistic Finance, where we help creatives learn about the business of show business. Welcome, and thanks for listening. I'm Carl Faber, in for Ethan. Today, I am thrilled to host a panel discussion with some fantastic folks. Uh, If you know anyone who owns an EV, chances are they like to talk about it. Uh, And so I figured, why not bring some of these people together uh, and have a group discussion about EVs for artists? Um, We have some new friends uh, of the show joining today, and uh, we're a pretty EV, what I would say a pretty EV diverse crowd, uh, some of us owning multiple EVs to PHEVs down to the, uh, what I'm calling EV curious. Um, I personally uh, can't shut up about my EV experience. Um, and while I've had uh, one-on-one conversations with many of our guests, this is the first uh, group discussion I've actually ever had about EVs. So I've been looking forward to this for uh, for weeks. So welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. Um, first, I want to start off as Ethan often does with some con- with some context. Um, this is being recorded on Wednesday, March fifteenth. The national average for a gallon of gas in the U.S. is three forty seven. In the U.K., it's the equivalent of six seventy six in U.S. dollars, and in Iceland, they're paying a whopping eight seventy one. That sounds painful. Uh, so let's meet our guests. I'm going to go around the Zoom room. Um, just tell us a teeny tiny bit about about yourself, uh, what you do, where you are, that sort of thing. Um, from back in Ethan's home state of New York, Travis McHale. Hey there, I'm Travis. Um, I live in Rhinebeck, New York. I'm a lighting designer. I work uh, primarily in regional theater and cruise ships for two like really diverse ends of uh, <laughs> of live entertainment. And um, and I also teach at the State University of New York at New Paltz. Excellent. So welcome, welcome, Travis. Uh, calling in from her vacation. I sorry, but thank you. Um, on the Oregon coast, Michael Tara Garver. Hello, I'm calling in from yes, my vacation in uh, Newport, Oregon. I've revealed uh, I am an immersive experience creator and director, having just done uh, as the director of immersive experience for the Galactic Star Cruiser, but also come of theater and um, work right now for Disney and consult all sorts of places, making experiences, but I live in Los Angeles. Thank you for spending some time on your vacation with us, Michael, um, uh, and spending his lunch break with us in his car, in his EV, Phil Macbeth. <laughs> Hi, yep, I'm, this is Phil Macbeth, and I am currently sitting in my third EV. I've sold one of them, though, so I only currently have two, and um, I, I'm a, well, I'm a retired stagehand lighting designer, technical director, uh, and I switched careers just uh, this last year, so or just this year. 
So um, now I'm a newbie that knows nothing and I'm not a boss anymore. I get to go where I'm told and I love it. And finally, um, from just across the border from me in Washington State, Ryan Durham. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, just outside of Vancouver, Washington, and uh, I'm a stage manager by training. Spent a couple of years in New York doing various types of stage management gigs and then moved out to Portland with my now wife and uh, eventually transitioned out of stage management. And now I do software development and uh, that's my full time job now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Ethan would want us to ask, are you good or bad with money? Travis. Um, and I listen on Patreon, so I'm going to give a little plug there. Um, so I was bad with money when I had none. And now that I'm mid-career and have a little, I'm getting much better. Excellent. And that's a good plug to Patreon. I'm also a Patreon supporter. Travis, it sounds like you are too. Um uh, let's go to Ryan. Ryan, are you good or bad with money? Uh, I'd say it's, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, very similar. You know, when I first got out of school, I was awful and had no idea what I was doing. And after many years of hard learned lessons, I, I feel like I'm slowly at a place where I, I, you know, I'm much better than I was, but there's still room for improvement. <laughs> and Phil? Uh, well, and early in my life, I guess, yeah, when we didn't have any money, I was, yeah, I was really bad with it. I didn't, I didn't uh, do things like save um, as the years have gone by and went like learn my lessons too. Uh, it's gotten a lot better. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I uh, certainly a lot better than I used to be. Excellent. And Michael? Um, I've gone through cycles. I think, uh, I always realized I ran a nonprofit theater company and I've run a bunch of businesses. So I was good at bringing in money for others, really good at that. And then never recently learning how to do the same for myself and save for myself, uh, becoming better at that um, for sure. Yeah, I, I think one thing that is probably true for all of us, since all of us at least have some background in theater, is that I think universally theater education does not teach you how to run a small business, um, how which, you know, as a designer, you or, you know, director or anyone who works in the theater is essentially doing. Um, and so uh, I think what is universally true um, amongst almost all of the guests who come on the show who have a background in in the arts is that there's been a curve. There's been some education involved um, because school did not do right by us in uh, in teaching us some of the skills that we've ultimately needed to know um, in being and uh, working in this business. So next, uh, your, tell us a little bit about your EV situation. So let's start with Ryan. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I have a Tesla Model 3, uh, which I took delivery in uh, the fall of 2018. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, I have zero, zero complaints. Um, I did finance it. Um, uh, and let's see, we also, we have a Subaru Outback that is a regular ICE vehicle uh, as well. So, you know, we're not, our household is not completely an EV household, though that will probably change down the road. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Some things to come. Uh, Phil, how about you? Uh, well, I'm currently sitting in my third E and most expensive EV. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 
brand new the id4 23 id4 i got it in december and i guess this would be the i mean uh well i'll get the tax credit for it so that's the first ev out of three that i've purchased that i actually qualified for a tax credit um and uh i do still have uh, one gas pickup i was waiting on the ford lightning but ford was dragging their feet i did and it would have been next summer and i needed an ev other than a leaf because leaf's a great town car but I've, I've got some distances i gotta do in front of me with the new job so i had to step up to a a, a newer model but my first ev i got in uh december of 16 the leaf and i drove the crap out of, sorry can i say that yeah yeah you can <laughs> I, drove the I didn't drive the wheels off of it. if it was a gas rig i would have driven the wheels off of it but that ev is still going yeah and i and i sold that for a couple grand less than i paid for it so it actually held some value excellent and since we're talking leaves, I'll share my leaf experience. Um, uh, since Phil was one of the inspirations for me to make the transition to electric. So I have a 2013 Nissan Leaf. Uh, I purchased it in December 2020. Um, it had 65,000 miles on it when I got it uh, and 11 of 12 bars, which will mean something to leaf owners, but probably nobody else. Basically, the battery was in good shape. Um, two years later, 85k uh 85,000 miles um and still 11 of 12 bars which is still pretty good for 85,000 miles um we 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 also have a 2013 Honda CRV so we also like Ryan have a have a nice car in the house um uh which is part of the reason why we don't have as many miles on that uh on that leaf uh, as we probably otherwise would but like Phil said it is definitely a short haul vehicle uh it i my my range in the in the leaf is about 60 miles and the newer ones obviously can get a lot farther. Uh, Michael. I uh, bought my Nero EV. It, well, I leased it in January of 2020. Um, I had just moved to Los Angeles after living in New York for 10 years. Didn't need a car in New York. Hadn't bought a car. Hadn't had a car in 10 years. Had a Subaru before that when I lived in Chicago. And um, had spent a lot of time with Kias when I would rent cars when I was traveling for work. So if I was like directing in a place some for a while, Kias were the were the car that people would that they had in rentals. Um, drove a bunch of them, knew that I was going to lease it, that one, the Kia Nero. Um, and then COVID and then I drove that car just so we're clear across the country from Los Angeles to Virginia, then from Virginia to Orlando, then from Orlando to Virginia, and then from Virginia back to Los Angeles with me and my dog. And I couldn't love a car more. Like <laughs> now I didn't do it on a charge the whole time. Obviously it gets a 26 mile radius. So, you know, but I've kept the battery up. I will, I would charge it every night and get as far as I could. And it's a, it's a, EV hybrid. So I would also get mileage as I drove it. Um, I bought it outright when I started to look, the lease was coming up this year. And when I went, the value hadn't lowered at all. Um, and so I bought it. Fantastic. Yep. And Travis. I guess I'm the EV curious one here. Um, like like Phil, I'm uh, being jerked around by Ford with the F-150 Lightning. However, it has come up for configuration. I've picked it. I've spec'd it out. And uh, 
theoretically around June, I'll, I'll get to drop a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of money on it. Um, it's way more expensive than when I got on the list with on day one uh, in May, 2021. So like all models went up 17 grand and for this model year, they're sold out of the two base trims. So anyhow, I've, uh, I've made some decisions on moving forward with it uh, for some other reasons that I'll share with you a little later. And and we do keep we do have a, a gas car, a, a Mazda CX-5, which I love. And I put 22,000 miles on it last year. So hoping to be able to split that with the with the truck. Yeah, I, I think everybody has a slightly different um, uh, initial impulse for why they want to go EV. Most people don't uh, feel all of the things all at once. Um, I wonder if uh, if those of you who have one um, would mind sharing a little bit more about like, was it financial? Was it environmental to take advantage? Like, do you want to feel green? Uh, is it something else? Like, what was the what was the initial impulse uh, to make the first leap into into an in, in EV? For me, for me, it was I, you know, hadn't had a car for so long. I had the ease of not those costs. And also, it was at a moment where electric, I mean, I was also moving to Los Angeles. It's pretty much like a, 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 a pass. You know, you have to have an EV, it feels like. Um, but also, it, at the time, I was, you know, kind of transitioning a life back to a car. And I think it was both environmental and also all the knowledge around that I was learning about it. Um, and I did make a very concerted... I, I was not... <laughs> I was uh, living in some sort of survivalist mentality at the time that the idea of a full EV was not something I could afford or what if there was no way to charge my car? I don't know what I was thinking, but yes. So the hybrid was also a part of it. So, yeah, for me, it was, it was financial for the most part. I, I had, uh, I think done only been at six months, I think at, at Broadway Rose or, or a year or something when, uh, and all I had was a Ford Ranger, which it gets good mileage, but you know, it was a basic, you know, and it was a stick. So a lot of traffic and a stick is just, is no fun at all. And, um, so it was partly for, for just the comfort of driving but it was also it was a total financial because it was December 16 when I was like, man, gas prices, if they if they go up, I mean, I work at a theater. I'm not going to be able to afford. I was driving 44 miles one way so to get to work um, and I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to work. I would be paying the gas man. And so that was a big that and and. um I'm not a fan of big oil. So uh, that was the one thing I could do to, to, you know, kind of like, I'm not a big fan of big banks. So move your stuff to a credit union, you know, move it, move it out of stop paying them is. And so I guess it's my only revenge, I guess, against the big oil is stop paying them. And so those were the, the main drivers was, was, it was financial for the most part, but also just comfort on, on being able to not have to, pump a clutch and in rush hour traffic all day. Yeah, I know. I felt the environmental pull too. I mean, I think to me it was, it, it was financial for sure. I mean, we, we noticed, um, 
when we uh, when we started sending our son to preschool or when we started driving our son to preschool, we started noticing that, like, we're doing a pretty um, standard, you know, lap uh, twice a day. And it was less than 60 miles. And it was the kind of situation for us that was like, uh, you know, in a in a CRV, we're kind of getting fine miles. Um, but, you know, when we when we ran the numbers, when we were thinking about it, it's like, you know, if we can charge this car for less than a dollar a day, we're going to save a lot more than um, than we would be in a gas in a gas car. So in that sense, it was financial. But then on the other side, it was environmental. I mean, as a lighting designer, I know I think about electricity and the environment. I think about like my impact um, a lot and uh, and it's very present in my work and it's present in our personal life too, just in terms of how we think about conserving energy and um, what our carbon footprint is on a daily basis. And since we got it, I mean, I know that like uh, we, we just generally like, we feel uh, we feel like we're, we're doing some, we're playing some part in reducing, you know, uh, and reducing our reliance on fossil fuels and, and, uh, and it, so it's certainly both a financial draw for us and a, and a green draw for sure. Um, I, I know that for me, I, I've seen actually a, a sort of high, um, number of folks who are in the arts, um, moving in this direction. I'm curious if anyone has any sort of feelings why that might be the case. One cost, right? Like, it, I mean, it, it's just fundamentally not being, not having to. Um, I mean, I don't get gas. It's, and again, I have a hybrid, but like, I don't buy gas more than every five months, four months, four to five months, um, because of now the way I'm living my life. Um, and that just like on a cost level, like when I'm renting a car while I'm here traveling i'm just overwhelmed by the amount of cost that is back in my life you know what i mean like you're just like oh i think part of it's financial and then i i do think carl that the the impact environmentally just as like this is a thing i can do feels really useful it feels like i wake up in the morning i'm like oh i'm not doing something bad i i think our industry is is highly politically and and uh conscious and and not that we're homogenous but just we're kind of a like-minded bunch who thinks about uh our social impact and our and our environmental impact and i think our industry has been working you know maybe not as hard as it can but but pretty diligently lately to try and and, and be mindful of all that so i think i think maybe that's the connective tissue and we've got a lot of gearheads among us, myself included. Yeah, it's it def it definitely feels that way amongst amongst theater designers and technicians, the ones that I've spoken to about about their experience with EVs. It, there's a lot of like there it does feel like there is a spectrum of gearhead, you know, like there are some people that just sort of go <laughs> into it without any sort of interest in it. And then there are some people who dig really deep into it. Um, I know Phil and I have had numerous conversations in the parking lot about all the different specs of EVs and the, you know, mileage and everything like that. And so I, I feel, I feel like Phil, you're probably on the high end of the gearhead spectrum. <laughs> well, I've definitely ran numbers more than once just to prove to myself that it was worthwhile. And, you know, I do say it was all financial uh, for the most part, but it does also feel better that I'm not 
participating in burning that much gas. Um, so so it has that warm fuzzy. But if if you run the numbers, hands down, it's well per mile driving. I mean, the car itself or the vehicle that you're driving is might be comparable in price, but to to a gas rig or probably more than a gas rig right now because it's they're getting popular. Um, it's the way to go. I mean, you're just I was driving 44 miles for a buck 50, you know, in one way in gas. So $3 a day round trip was my energy expense. And and that that speaks volumes. I mean, you know, I couldn't I couldn't get halfway to, you know, down the road with my Ranger and that's, you know, 20 miles a gallon and a 44 mile trip. Well, I have I'd be four times that, you know, to get to work. Well, and, and, and I think there is this other element too, um, of like the quality of the ride is also like a much, it's like a much more enjoyable experience to drive. Like, it's certainly like I, it's, it's, I have a 2013 leaf and, you know, it's 10 years old and it's, and it's the most, and I've, you know, I've rented a lot of cars. I've owned a couple of cars in my life. This is easily, and it's a, this is a pretty small car. It's easily the most fun and like enjoyable experience I have driving and riding in a, in an electric um, just because it's so smooth, it's got so much. It's got you know instant torque. It's got instant you know it, everything feels like it's um, it's an enjoyable experience. I mean, I know that's my wife would say it's zippy. It's zippy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's zippy. They they can zip right along. Yeah. I yeah. mean, driving it cross country was a revelation because I had a bunch of cars you know, kind of coming up also like carting around a bunch of stuff when I ran a theater company in Chicago and I had all my things because I was moving cross country back and forth, going to Orlando, all my things and my dog in this car and had the most comfortable ride that I've had, you know, and, and have not been able to talk this positively about any car I've had. Right. Like, and just like you said, Carl, I will tell anyone that wants to listen. I walked, I did the worst thing possible. I walked into Brit to like extend my lease and said to them, I love this car. Like I did no sort of strategy. You know what I mean? Like that, that's like so, you, you broke like rule number one at a car dealership. Yeah. I went in, I was like, I love this car. I want to keep it. And they were like, great, buy it. You know, like it was, it's, it's so, I think it's for me, I'm not a gearhead. I, I work with a lot of them, like Carl, and yeah, it was, it, it, I just love the ride. Yeah. Well, and, and when you start getting us, there, there was a, there was a period of time when a lot of these, a lot of the EVs that were commercially available were like, you know, like the, like the leaf, very small form factor, like not particularly like useful in utility hauling situations, but now that we're getting sort of larger sized uh, SUV sized pickup truck size, they become a lot more practical for people who are in creative industries who are doing a lot of manual work and need supplies, need these kinds of things. They become a lot more practically useful um, for people who are in the arts. And like we've all said, like can are also looking to save money, are also, uh, you know, socially and environmentally conscious um, it feels like we're continuing to move in that direction of them being like more, you know, and, and from the used market. I mean, I know I, we bought ours used. Um, and, you know, I think we were right in this weird time in COVID before all of like the used cars were, you couldn't find any and all the prices like skyrocketed, but we were in a situation where we bought, you know, a seven-year-old EV 
that we managed to find, you know, that had good miles. And frankly, I didn't feel like the dealer really knew very much about, <laughs> about battery health at that point. Or, and I had done more of my research than certainly the dealer that I talked to um, knew. And so, you know, we got ours for about 7,000. And then there were, there were a, a number of rebates that were able to, even, even on a used car that we were able to knock that price even further down. So there's, there certainly are the sort of, you can go the newer end, you can go the financing financing end, but even in the used market, there's a there's a lower barrier to entry, I think, in the used market for artists who are just looking for a commuter vehicle, something that can like get get you around town and still give you some of the cost savings um, and benefits there. Um, uh, is there anything that you find for those of you who have one like that isn't that that you don't like about your experience? Oh, I just you know, it's uh, it was definitely a learning curve uh, getting used to it and. There's certain behaviors, uh, you know, like the car, you know, the range is lower in colder weather and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, get, getting used to that was was uh, a bit bumpy. But but once you're on the other side of that, it's great. The thing that's interesting about, you know, in the range and the colding, colder weather, you notice those things in your EV. Yep. It The same thing happens in a gas rig. You just don't notice it. Mm. You don't have the da data that you have in your ev in a gas rig but right. all gas all vehicles the air is denser and right. it just pushes against your car more no matter what vehicle it is and but i definitely noticed it in my leaf that's for sure yes going that 44 miles <laughs> i i would have to uh uh freeze some of the way sometimes just to get to work yep <laughs> So shut off the heater, shut off any war any seat warmers, yep. steering wheel warmers, yep. turn everything, turn everything yep. off. <laughs> turn everything off, slow down, get behind a big semi truck. Yeah. All those tricks. Yeah. Yeah. I occasionally still have to do that with an older one with a smaller battery. One of the items I would really looked at, and for anybody getting a newer EV, I would definitely uh dig into you can't find it easily, but what is its maximum charge rate? Uh how fast can the fast DC charger charge it. And even the newer Leafs were still stuck about 36 to 37 kilowatts of charge rate. And um, like the Ford Lightning will probably do 120, 150, 150 kilowatts. And this one, the Volkswagen said it would do 113. Now your charger is not always going to give you that, obviously. Um, and temperature matters for, uh, at least for the Volkswagen, I'm sure it does for most of the EVs as well, as far as how cold your batteries are, the colder they are, the, the slower the car might tell it to charge just to keep the batteries from getting damaged. Um, and I didn't know that cause I got my, I was like, oh, this thing will do 113 kilowatts. And I go and plug in and I'm getting 36 kilowatts and i'm just like fuming until i did some searching and and found this guy who says oh yeah at this range at this temperature you're gonna get this 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 and he was it was spot on with what was on the web so it was like all right just warm up and sure enough so it's better to fast charge also after you've um driven a long ways because then your battery's nice and warm mm. That yeah, they found can, out as well. Batteries can be, I mean, not that delicate, but they're still a little delicate. They don't like to be too hot. They don't like to be too cold. <laughs> right. They, uh, they've got, they've they got have feeling. a personality. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's Robot Carl again. 
taking a brief pause to promote the Artistic Finance Patreon page. As Travis and I mentioned, we're Patreon supporters, and it's one of the best ways to support the fantastic work Ethan and his team are doing here. There are five tiers of membership currently available that range from $5 to $50 a month and discounts with yearly membership. I use the Patreon podcast feed and love the bonus features. Check out the link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. The thing that I was not expecting was how little maintenance uh, would be needed. And I think that was um, that was sort of a huge unexpected cost savings. You know, I think I've had maybe one or two service appointments in almost five years. Um, and usually those were things that I did and not problems that the car itself had. Um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how expensive EVs can be. You know, there's a whole range like like we've been talking about. But I think um, what people don't realize is a lot of that is sort of a front-loaded cost and that a cheap, you know, a quote-unquote cheaper internal combustion car um, is actually going to probably cost you more over the long run because you're paying for gas and, uh, you know, maintenance and service and all of those things that over the full lifetime of the car, that's going to add up to a lot more. I felt like I was always taking my other cars in, like always. And uh, I absolutely, Ryan, feel like this car, you know, the only challenges I've had actually is the door to the gap, to the, to the charge thing, um, getting stuck because of different humidity and having to get that fixed. And that's under warranty, right? Like, and, and the only challenge I've had was being in states or places that were less aware of how, when I was traveling cross country of how EVs work. And so getting those things fixed were slightly harder, but like it's a door, they figured it out, you know? Yeah. I mean, when, in my research about them, I, I know that EVs have just drastically fewer working parts. So there's just so, so much less to maintain. And there's also so many fewer parts. There's so, so, so many fewer opportunities for something to go wrong uh, with the, with, with, um, with anything having to do with the car. Um, the, the one caveat, I think that I, I know I've read about, um, plug-in hybrid plug-in EVs, um, is you're dealing with both power systems, right? You're dealing with a gasoline engine and you're dealing with an electric engine. You're basically taking the number of components and, you know, adding them together into one vehicle. So you're certainly putting less wear and tear on the gasoline engine, but you are still, you, you do still have all of those working parts in there that, you know, are going to be subject to the same sort of like end, end of, you know, engine end of life or needing necessity for maintenance, um, as you would see in a gasoline powered car, but you're using that gasoline engine. So, so much less, um, that yeah, you're going to see drastically reduced, uh, maintenance costs costs. I know that from my experience in Oregon, I don't know if every state handles, I think every state will handle the registration of an EV differently in Oregon. I was surprised initially to see that my, um, my, uh, registration every two years basically doubled, um, uh, in the course of owning, owning an EV. And my understanding of that is, is that, uh, it's basically to offset the gas tax that we have in Oregon because I'm not paying for gas in that car. Uh, the government is then charging me in a, you know, in a, basically an additional cost to register the car. So there's like, there's basically kind of like one or two of these small things that cost a little bit more. Um, in my experience, um, insurance wise, I didn't really see much of a change, uh, from, from owning an EV versus a gasoline powered car. Um, and, and the maintenance costs have been basically zero. I mean, I, I, I know from my experience and having it two years, 
I haven't really had to do anything. I've just replaced the cabin air filter and that's basically it. Uh, I haven't needed to put on new tires yet. Um, and I think you need brake service on the leaf, like every, every like eight years or something like that. I mean, there's, there's really nothing else to really do with it. And and the manual even says that that's not just anecdotally amongst your, like, you know, your gearhead friends. It's basically the manual essentially says you don't really have to do anything with this car. Um, yeah. I was shocked when, you know, in dealing with the dealer and when they, they told me about the maintenance on it, I, it's going to go through two sets of tires before you ever have to take it in for scheduled. And I was just in with a gas engine $450 later for scheduled maintenance at 20,000 miles for oil and injection cleaning and all that, you know, good ownership stuff. So, so that's, that's a huge thing to look forward to. Yeah. The, the lack of maintenance is awesome. I mean, one of the, the, uh, moments that like really keyed me in i was listening to the radio talk listening to a mechanic talk about him and stuff and he's like yeah move a gas rig twenty thousand moving parts an ev 20 you know and you're just like whoa that that makes a big difference the only thing driving it cross country were the tires and again twice plus the other direction right so i definitely had to change tires but also that was it um with a lot of wear and tear. And so of course, like one of the things that I think we're all seeing or we're all aware of if we're paying attention to the nudes is like, um, uh, is, is this, well, particularly the Ford F-150 Lightning, which has experienced all of these delays, assembly line delays and battery delays. And so there's been a sort of backup of getting all these highly anticipated, uh, pickup trucks, uh, to, to, to the dealerships. Um, Phil, you had an experience you had an experience trying to be on that wait list for a long time and then ultimately decided to go in a different direction. What, what was there? Was there something that ultimately um, pushed you to finally giving up on your F-150 plan? Well, well, I, I had got a email from Ford that said I would get to uh, order this summer because I had got in. I think that year that they had opened was July. I, I put money down. I didn't think I was that far down the list, but obviously I was more than a year farther than I'd hoped um i would be and um i i kind of came to a spot too where i didn't think i needed one but i needed a a longer range ev right now for my job so i did do uh, a bunch of research on different uh models of and i i landed on the volkswagen but um i'm gonna give up on the ford for now yeah (laughs) but you're sticking it out travis I am. Yeah. Um, I, I happened to to get on the list in the first hour it was open. I didn't wake up planning to do that, but it was only a hundred bucks, which was refundable. So I just wow. said, said, I just did it. And so that was, concert tickets. <laughs> uh, it was Rachel Maddow the night before who was talking about it. Um, and then, so that was May 21. And then in late January this year, 23, they said time to order and you've got two weeks. And so, like I said before, at that point, prices had gone up. They were sold out of the two bottom trims, which is all I was interested in before, um, for 2023. And um, so I could have languished on the list until 24, in which time, I don't know if the tri- the lower trims would have been available. So um, so I pulled the trigger on. And, and I haven't put too much more money in, and it's all... And it can all stop before I take delivery. 
um because you know they can sell it in a heartbeat but uh so i i went for the the lariat trim with a standard battery unfortunately but um because all models with the extended range battery on the on the f-150 take it beyond the price limit of the 7500 dollars um the tax, tax credit, credit. Yeah. Tax credit. Yeah. so yeah. so uh that wasn't the only reason i was already breaking the bank so um so i'm going for it for now uh i've yet to get a production date the, the dealer told me that could be three to four months to obtain and then after that so uh so that i i february 8th was my day so maybe in april i'll know when they're going to build it and then when i can take it home and and are you planning to do the reverse charge back to the the charger house with your with your car? Actually, yeah, that was that was part of why this was interesting. I live in the woods. You can see out there we were out with without power because of snow yesterday. And um and I'm not gonna go for the big system, the the automatic one that changes over everything. Um that's about ten thousand bucks to put on the house. You need another you need i would need another 100 amp service to the house um and and then a you know a transfer switch that disconnects it from the grid so that lineman wouldn't get zapped um if there if i was feeding into it but i already have a transfer switch for my gener generator so i can just plug the truck in with a standard 240 volt cable and transfer my eight circuits over that um that i already have and it's 3 to 4 days and i'll have well pump and heat and refrigerator so so that's a huge perk for for country life we we took advantage of a couple other incentive programs um these things are constantly changing so i think like one of the thing one of the things i want to sort of ca a caveat to this discussion about any sort of uh tax programs or incentives is that like these things change oftentimes uh every year or couple you know maybe even mid-year so it's worth certainly researching but it's worth i think it's worth highlighting just that the the most probably publicized uh, uh federal tax credit um that people are that people are talking about when you're talking about purchasing a new electric vehicle is that seventy five hundred dollar uh tax credit for qualified evs um it's changed a little bit like i said um it's now called something else than it you know it used to be called something now it's the clean vehicle the clean vehicle credit um, the Inflation Reduction Act did some modified it in some ways. So it's certainly worth researching. Um, I know that there are state incentives as well. Oregon has a pretty generous one where you can get a clean vehicle rebate, uh, but for, for both new and used. Um, we purchased a used car, uh, a used EV from a dealer. It has to be from a dealer, at least at, at, at the time that I purchased, it had to be from a dealer. And we got um, a, a $2,500 rebate. Uh, and that's that's a rebate. That's not a tax credit or anything like that. That's literally just a cash rebate from from um, from the state. Uh, that used vehicle credit is up to five thousand dollars now, which is pretty um, pretty compelling. Um, there's also credits for installing a a, a, a charger at home. Um, the alternative uh, fuel vehicle refueling property credit. It's a long one. It'll be in the show notes. Um, but we took advantage of that. Um, and that cover that offsets some of the costs um, through a tax credit of installing a charger at home. Are there other like credits or incentives that applied for any of you that either you're looking at taking advantage of or that you used when you bought? I was in Oregon uh, when I took ownership, uh, so I, I use those those same programs. Uh, um, yeah, so so I'm I'm right there with you. 
Um, yeah. Travis, I know you're looking to take advantage of something, something sort of specific. Do you want to go into that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would preface this by saying the Ethan Steinle, uh disclaimer <laughs> that I'm not a financial professional and don't listen to me. We're just, um, we're just five people sitting around talking. <laughs> we're not, we're not financial professionals at all. Um, I'm a big tax nerd and I self-prepare and I love, uh, all that that entails. Um, and, and so something that I was aware of about the truck and didn't really think about until, until I was faced with this decision to like, let my spot go or buy a $76,000 car that I never thought I would do period. And that's, um, it, it's a fascinating case because it is heavy and it weighs over 6,000 pounds as does the Rivian, as does the Hummer. So any, all of the trucks out there at the moment, I'm sure the Silverado and Dodge will probably be in the same ballpark too for truck interested people, but that's a magic number. Um, it, to take advantage of something called section 179 depreciation on your taxes. And this is why rich people buy G wagons is because they're heavy. Um, but for 10, 99 earners, like uh, a lot of theater designers um, in the US, we so you can depreciate your business usage of the vehicle up to 100% in one year on this section 179. So I can fully write off $76,000 if I use this for 100% of work, which I don't won't. So I won't take that much. So I'll be able to write that off and then take advantage of the 7,500 tax credit and so that's why I'm going forward this year. I'm having kind of a windfall once in a career year. And so it's actually kind of all aligning well at the right time. And and my tax lawyer friend said, this is why the rich get richer. So something to consider if you're looking for a heavy vehicle and you're someone who earns money on 1099. Um, I think the caveat is that if you re- when you resell it, um, and I don't know the ins and outs of this, you're you're having to do something called recapture where the government will now tax you for the unused portion of the depreciation. Um, so if you can plan that well and take that in a year, that's a down income year, because we all do that, or at least, I don't know, I do. Um, then that that's something to think about. Well, next, next G wagon uh, I get, I'm definitely, I'm calling, I'm calling Travis to explain how I can write that G-Wagon off. I, I was curious just because we're all sort of arts, art artists, art adjacent. I don't know. We we tend to use our imaginations a lot. I'm curious if, if anyone had any, uh, I wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't call them predictions. We won't hold you to it. Um, but based on like where, where the auto industry is going with EVs, where this administration is going and try and try to advocate for EVs, um, if anyone has a, a sort of picture of what the future might be like in in the in the next ten years, a real a more realistic picture, because I think there's a sort of level of optimism of what the future might might be uh, or what it could be. Um, but I'm curious if if uh, if anyone had to guess where we'll be in ten or I don't know, fifty years feels like too far out. But uh, but in ten years, I mean, my parents after I got mine, my parents are in their seventies and they bought an EV. Um, and they, you know, older people, as they get older are driving less distances. And so they love their EV. And so I've, I've also been thinking about like, it was a thing that we did. Like, I think more people as they get their second car and their third car or their last car, they're going to purchase these cars. Um, and so I, I think, yes, there's the like Jetson version of thinking about this, but there's also just like the real life, like economy of as I get older and I'm not having to drive 
cross country all the time. It just makes sense, right? Um, and seeing that impact my parents in their seventies in a positive way. Definitely. No, I've definitely, I've just, I've seen it be embraced by, you know, there's certainly like the younger generation that I think is, is drawn to the perks there, but, um, but certainly in the older generation too, it's like, uh, there, the, the benefits, the maintenance benefits, the sort of like the cost of ownership benefits certainly can help. Um, well, I think, I think all those benefits can help everyone. They just, you know, the the majority of the populace just doesn't know that yet. There's sort of an there's just an educational curve that that we're trying to navigate. And I think over the next 10 or however many years, more and more people are going to wake up to all of the benefits that we've been talking about. And it'll become, you know, switching to electric will become, I think, a, a no-brainer for a lot of people. My dad kind of lives the dream, the fantasy to me, which is he lives in Los Angeles, the land of perpetual sun and has solar on the roof of the garage. And he charges the Tesla in this like freebie loop uh, mm -hmm. much of the time. And so uh, maybe that's a, a exciting vision of the future is that we all can in our homes have some sort of a renewable energy source and in, in which to to top off the car every day. Yeah. I rent a place in Los Angeles that I rented because it's solar powered the house that I live in and I can charge my car off of the solar power. So like, absolutely. Like it's, I'm, I'm living that dream, just renting. You know, I think we all have an experience of what the U S is doing. Um, particularly, in, you know, in, in states that are really pushing this like California and Oregon. I mean, I, I, I hope that the same becomes true globally. Um, I, I was actually surprised. We spent a fair amount of time in France this summer and they're just sort of beginning to outfit their highways and filling stations with electric chargers. You really don't see a lot of electrics on the road out there. Mm. Um, and gas is easily double what we pay out here. And so, you know, I think I think there's going to be a pretty steep curve. I, I would predict that I think in those parts of Europe that have been slow to adopt, that there's going to uh, be a pretty steep curve um, in, in the adoption of EVs in the next 10 years over there. Uh, just because of the sort of the mixture of so many different things, the gas, the charge, the cost of gasoline and just the I think what's going to what's going to probably slow it down is just the availability, you know, like we're experiencing here with new with new EVs is the availability of chips and materials and battery supplies. I, I would just remind us that our country is large and when driving cross country, I would say I did not see as many EVs once I passed coast and then when I returned to coast or when I went too far, like being in Orlando and Florida, it was not as highly utilized um, and I couldn't find chargers in the same way. Um, they're there, but it's much harder to find. So I'm also really interested to when the financially the middle of the country starts to change. I think that's going to make a huge impact. I think. I like to watch a lot of the YouTubes of the battery tech coming out. And I know that there's lots of different battery. There, there's a lot of really smart people working this problem because they're trying to get away from lithium right. and they're trying to get away from cobalt. And so there, there's some of those things. That, and I think they're going to make that. But there's also, uh, you know, the hydrogen question as to whether that's going to make a, a splash in in uh, transportation and um, I think it could, and that probably might be the uh, a bigger, better solution or more possible solution than um, the battery that will just take you, you know, 
a thousand miles. You know, I, it, it's hard to say if that's going to actually happen, but it, it, to me, just watching it, it's tech that exists. It's not like they have to invent this tech. It exists and they just have to make it safe enough and then convince people that, you know, you have a hydrogen tank underneath you instead of a gas tank. They're both explosive. Right. So get used to it. <laughs> get used to it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the subtitle of this episode. I feel like get used to it. Get used to it. EVs are here. They're awesome, and and I love talking about them. I'll just say to the non gearheads listening, I'm not a gearhead. I didn't do all the research. I'm I'm I went and drove a bunch of EV cars, figured out which ones I liked, and then like read a couple of articles. You do not have to be a full designer. I've surrounded myself by lighting designer gearheads, but I am not one. So um, you, you do not have to do that to enjoy these cars. And like, and, and yet it will also pay off. It is possible as a working artist to get overwhelmed by new information that feels expensive and go, I, I, that's not me, I can't. Um, and that's a fault of our... Uh, theater education that told us that we, unless we were gearheads, we couldn't. So I would just say like on an economic level, even if you are not a gearhead, just like go try some and drive them and then read just the basics and you can pick the right electric car and you can afford it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of people in the world who uh, have strong biases both for EVs and against EVs. And uh, so I would say to people who are EV curious, um, you know, anything you hear in the media or in the news that's extreme in either direction, I would disregard and and uh, not let that sway you uh, and really try to focus more about, like Michael said, the, the actual personal economic uh, benefits um, that are possible. Well, thanks. Thanks very much to this panel. I know, Phil, you've got to go. Um, and and uh, we've used the hour. Thank you all so much. Um, I'll put contact information in the show notes um, for anyone who wants to be reached out to. Um, but, uh, but thank you all so much for your time and for your insight into this. That's it for this week's episode. As an EV owner, I am admittedly biased. But my takeaways are that EVs are a great option for almost anyone and particularly for artists who are looking for cost savings, reduced carbon footprint, and reliability that is largely free of maintenance. Naturally, there are trade-offs purchasing new or used, long-range or short, and hybrid versus fully electric, but hopefully, if you're new to the EV world, you're feeling just a little more prepared after listening. Thank you to this week's guests, and thanks to Ethan for lending this platform to me to explore a meaningful topic. If you're listening to the audio version, I encourage you to check out the YouTube link in the description. I was very happy to edit this week's episode, and I threw in a lot of additional visual content that I wouldn't want you to miss. Finally, thanks to the listeners. I always enjoy Ethan's final thoughts, and if you've made it this far, you are appreciated. Ethan will be back soon, but until then, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance, where we interview successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the creative community. To access our show notes and resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. 
This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. 